Good morning. There is one activity, if engaged regularly, that will have dramatic results for your children. Now, I don't mean to sound like a late night infomercial, but if you do this activity, these are some of the results. Your children will perform better academically. This is according to research. They're less likely to engage in risky behavior. They'll be, they'll be more likely to be related to fewer um, emotional and behavior problems, have a higher life satisfaction, and be less likely to be overweight. Just one activity as a family. And what is that? You as a family would have a family meal together three times a week. That's it. Now think about it. The importance of what happens at a family meal. You, you share stories. You're, you start to understand your identity. Stories are passed from generation to generation. Children are able to, and parents even, are able to um, process through their day. If we're more emotionally attuned, we can start listening to the emotions, help them process their emotional life and well-being. That, and it's such a foundational and formative time that they start to understand and all of us in these meals understand what it means to be human and how to relate to one another well. And so the regularity and the time is important. But with the regularity, there's a flip side to this. It can become boring. You can easily lose sight of why you're doing what you're doing. Say, like, oh, just going through the motions, getting a meal, just moving on to the next thing. It's also becoming increasingly difficult with the busyness that we have. I mean, I don't know if you're like me, but in the last couple of weeks, it went from zero to 60 super fast. And so with our busyness, with our work schedules, with our, um, the feeling of it not being important, you, you, we can lose sight of the importance of a regular family meal. Now, that's just a family meal amongst your family. What about the family of God? God has given us a family meal that is to be our regular communal and mystical reminder of the gospel. And that is the common meal that we call communion also known as the Lord's Supper, um, also called Eucharist in some circles of Christianity. This is a regular meal that we take symbolically as a reminder of the gospel. And the question I have for us is this, are we taking it rightly? Are we, the family of God, in, um, encountering God rightly, experiencing Him, engaging in communion in the way that God designed it. See, for the Corinthians, as we enter into 1 Corinthians 11, they weren't doing that rightly. They didn't have a right understanding and experience of the communal and mystical reminder of the gospel. That is communion. And so as we are in our future present series, as we're seeing how Paul is establishing them as the body we're going to look at what does it mean to discern the body while taking communion. So if you have your Bible, flip open to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 
So, um, and we're going to start in verse 17. Let me just lay this out for you for a second. In the first few verses from 17 to 22, Paul um, addresses what's going on in their day. Now, for them, they were not taking it rightly because they were taking societal, social, and economic standards and bringing it into the church. They were, there were common things called association meals of the day. Paul was probably part of one as a tent maker. Think of it like your HOA if you have a HOA in your neighborhood. You would go in and there's a way in which an HO meeting would go. Well, these association meals for Paul were similar. You would have the rich on one section and the, the rich, more well-connected, would be in a separate room. They would get the better food. They would get the better drink. And then the leftovers would be given to the poor. So there was either a space issue or a sequence issue. It could have been that the rich were showing up early because they didn't have to work as much. They were getting all the food, drinking as much as they could. Paul says in Corinth there were some that were actually getting drunk. And then the poor would show up and they weren't able to eat. Either way, that societal standard was happening in the common meal of in Corinth. Now, for them, communion was a full meal. In Ju the book of Jude, it's called an agape feast, that their gatherings were um, around a meal together. Now, we don't know if 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 Corinthians 14, um, which tells more about the, the um, liturgical gathering, if I could use that language, it, it's not fully um, sure how those relate, but let's assume that as we look at the meal portion, there's a portion of that meal that was specifically designed to remember the Lord and his death. And so in 1 Corinthians 11 verses 17 through 22, Paul calls them out and says, hey, this is where you are doing it wrongly. In verses 23 through 26, which we'll read in a few minutes, that's going to be uh, that's the reminder of what Paul receives and he passes on. That's the words of the institution of communion. But then he goes into verse 27, and I want to start reading in 27. Where, um, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and, um, and drink of the cup. Verse 29, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So, when you, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come, Paul says. And so here is his indication. He's saying, hey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to um, drink it in a, or take of this, not in a unworthy manner. Now, I've been in certain circles where as you take communion, this is more about personal self-reflection. It's introspection. Are you unworthy because of an unrepentant sin? 
And you need to confess that to the Lord, maybe confess that to a brother or sister if you sinned against them, and then you can take communion. Now, that's not bad. I believe that that's a good thing. But that's not necessarily what Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about you being unworthy. He's talking about the manner in which you take communion is unworthy. He laid that out in verses 17 through 22. He's saying, hey, if you do this and you're neglecting the needy, if you're doing it to create division, if you're not doing it in the communal and mystical way it was designed for, then you are doing it in an unworthy manner. And so what I want to do is I want to hone in on verse 29. And it says this, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. What does it mean to discern the body? Now, there's two different ways that I would like to go. The first is that the body understands the communal nature of the meal. So this Greek word is the word soma. This is the same word that Paul uses in chapter 12 to understand the body of Christ. It also understands verses 17 through 22, the recognition that, hey, this is a meal that's to be taken in community with one another. They were neglecting the needy. And so what Paul is saying is, hey, you're not discerning the rest of your brothers and sisters in Christ as you take the meal. You're creating division. You're creating strife. You're doing it based on economic standards rather than being one family equally at the table as the people of Jesus. And so they were, like I said, they neglected the needy. They were doing it in a way that was creating economic stratus. And Paul was saying, no, no, to rightly discern the body is to make sure that everybody has equal seating at the table. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, slave or Greek, male or female, Paul says in Galatians, that all of us should have an equal setting at the table. And so I, for us, we don't, uh, communion is more of a symbolic meal for us, right? We don't, on Sundays when we gather together, we're not having a full meal now. By God's grace, we will be in our cluster gatherings, which you will be hearing about shortly. And so during that time, it's the importance of recognizing that this is something that we do together. It's not something I do by myself. There's a communal nature to it. As we've been in house-to-house gatherings, if there's times when our missional community is not able to be together, we don't take communion because we know that this is a communal meal. I can remember the Lord's death other ways, but this specific way is to be done in community as the body. But I also want to go to the understanding of this was an actual meal that they were taking. For us, that is more akin to our family, or excuse me, our missional community family meals. The time when your missional community gets together to enjoy a meal together, there are principles that are taking place within the Lord's Supper that I think should need to be applied to those times. When you get together as a missional community, does everybody have an equal space at the table, regardless of their social standing? regardless of their economic standing. That, that was what Paul was addressing here. 
Paul was saying, hey, some of you are rich are getting um, eating and drinking before anybody else is able to. Are, are you um, only having certain times within your missional community that those who are able to afford a special meal are able to enjoy a special meal? And then there are times when, oh, because they're here, we'll invite them in and we'll do it a little bit less. That's, that's what Paul would say is, no, no, we have equal standing at the table. We should all, regardless of where you are, be able to experience the presence of Jesus in this meal with one another. <clears throat> I've been in various times throughout my journey in community where I've been the poor among them that I could barely bring something to offer. I mean, we probably, we could pick something at a garden and bring it. I've also been in experience where I'm um, able to bring a little bit more to make sure that those who are unable to bring something to the common meal, that they're, um, they don't have to carry the burden. So it's not like, hey, I spent $50, you spend $50. It's, that's not how family works. Sometimes, and this is what I think is rightly discerning the body in our MC meals, sometimes there are those within the, within the missional community that are going to bring more for a season to ensure that everybody's able to have equal standing and equal seating at the table. There'll be some that, like, they, and be, to be honest and say, you know, I can't keep bringing and providing that. We're just not at a place right now where we can do that. Fine. That doesn't mean you don't come. And I've experienced that so sadly where people feel that because they can't bring the same that somebody else does, that they no longer are able to be at the table. And it's almost like they're buying their way. And it's like, no, no, no. Jesus bought your way into the family of God, family of God through his life, death, and resurrection. What you bring doesn't buy you in. You're here because you're family. So those of us that are more capable of it and have the ability to right now, we're going to provide more so that those who are not able to, we can all eat the same. We can all be at the same table. These are our common meals together. This is the communal nature of what Paul was addressing here. But concerning or discerning the body, verse 29, doesn't only understand its communal nature. Secondly, I'm gonna, it, I believe it also is, has an understanding of a mystical nature to it. We see also in verse 27 that it's guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. For hundreds of years, there has been an understanding that there's something special about communion. There's something significant about the Eucharist. Prior to the Reformation, where the pulpit took center stage, before that, the Eucharist, the communion, took center stage in a physical space um, because it was the recognition that something special was there. Now, I'm not going to go to the place that says that the body, uh, excuse me, the bread and wine physically become the body and blood of Jesus. Uh, theologically, that's the uh, Catholic uh, theology of transubstantiationism. Say that 10 times fast. So I'm not going to go to that place. However, I do believe that there's something mystical that happens when we take communion. Now, as we take it regularly, and we as a church, 
When we come together and we gather, we choose to take it weekly. We want this to be a regular reminder of the gospel. We want to remember that Jesus' body was broken for us and the blood, his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sin, that everything funnels through his life, death, and resurrection. So we choose to remember this weekly. And But because we do it regularly, like we do with our family meals sometimes, it can become boring. It can become just a routine. We can start to zone out, oh, here we go, I've heard these words a thousand times before. But I want to zoom out and I want to look at the mystical nature for a second. Because remember, this, a lot of ways, and what Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians, he's establishing them in the future present. That the future is present by the Spirit, and we, in some ways, are re- not reenacting, we're enacting and embodying what life will be like in the future kingdom. And in the future, the scriptures say in Revelation that there's going to be a messianic feast of the Lamb. Isaiah prophesies that it will have the choicest meats and finest wines, the best possible meal Isaiah could think of. He was like, that's going to be the meal. I mean, my family was out to eat um, at a, a nice restaurant recently, and we were all enjoying this meal, and we were eating it. And I was like, kids, just I want you to just think about this. How good this meal is, how succulent, how delicious it is. This is just a foretaste of how good the Messianic feast is going to be. How delicious, how wonderful, how freeing that meal is going to be. So enjoy this, relish in this, be thankful for this, but know it's just a taste of to come. In that same way, That's what communion is. It's a relishing of something that is going to be so profound in the future that it's going to be the best meal we've ever enjoyed. And that's because Jesus will be physically present with us, sitting with us at the table. As our co-heir with the Father, we're sitting there enjoying the best meal of our lives. And so in some mysterious, mystical, amazing way, that is also true in communion. By the Spirit of God, Jesus is with us at the meal. There is something special about taking this. I believe that's also why we can see there's severity in taking it well. Verse 30, You guys not discerning it well, Paul's saying. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have even died. By not taking communion well, by not discerning the body of the Lord, by disregarding and neglecting the needy, by missing the communal and mystical nature of it, there um, there is discipline that came on the body of Christ in Corinth because they did it poorly. Now, this isn't a diagnostic for us, like, oh, you're sick, that must mean you're taking communion poorly. That's not what Paul's trying to get at here. He's speaking prophetically. But I believe it speaks to the mystical nature of it. When we are engaging in communion, we are experiencing and encountering the person of Jesus by this person of the Spirit. We are 
enacting, embodying what that meal is going to be like in the future. And we're bringing it present. And because it, by some way it is present because Jesus is present among us. So I don't know if you're like me, and sometimes you just go through the motions of communion. I mean, one of the things that I miss most because of communion and that I abhor, excuse me, I miss most because of COVID in communion is having, and I don't like, is taking those little cups. It's like, no, there's so much more to that. I miss taking the bread. I miss, I miss the wine and taking and enjoying it with one another. I look forward to when we get to do that on a more regular basis together as the whole family. But there's something special, brothers and sisters, about taking that communal and mystical symbol, symbolic meal together. And so what I want to do is I want to read the words of the institution that we've read so often. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so what I want you to do is as I read this, I want you to reflect. Yes, you're going to have a chance to discuss in a few moments. But I want you to hear this as if you're hearing it for the first time. If you need to, close your eyes. If you need to get in a quiet spot as you listen to this, I want you to hear this. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Brothers and sisters, as you go and take communion, remember that this common mystical meal is a proclamation of the gospel. In taking it, you're saying that Jesus' life was perfectly lived. His death was a sacrifice and substitute for my sins. And he rose again victoriously. That in his death, his body was broken and his blood was shed so that I, who was a sinner, I, who was an enemy of God, can be made right with God. That can be accepted. While I was uh, rebellious against him, he died on my behalf. I'm proclaiming the purposes of his death, what it's done for me Every single time I take this. So if you are not somebody who professes faith, I invite you to the table. That this meal is a meal for you as well. This is a chance for you, if it's for the first time, to proclaim the death of Jesus. That he died in your place for your sins. That he is a good king who you can offer your life to. And we get to to experience his presence among us and with one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this meal that we get to proclaim your death. We get to proclaim the gospel to one another through this meal. Thank you that we do it together, but thank you that you are somehow present with us. May we experience you and know you as we take, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.